looking forward. Isaiah 43 in your Bibles. And uh, we're going to look at the first four verses to open, and then we're going to uh, pick up our Bible study from where we left off last week. All right? Verse number one. Stand for the reading of God's Word if you can. Isaiah 43 and verse number one. The Bible says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, uh, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. Verse 3. The Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Again, the title of our Bible study is A Faithful God to an Unfaithful People. We'll review quickly, and then we'll get in and uh, try to finish up our Bible study tonight out of Isaiah 43. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, hearing our prayers. It uh, thrilled my heart just a little bit ago to hear the men of our church, uh, lifting up their prayers to heaven. We know that you capture our prayers in a bottle or a vial, and Lord, uh, those are uh, used for sacrifices in heaven, or our tears are shed, and you catch those while we pray. Lord, not only the men praying here at the altar, but the ladies praying throughout the auditorium. Lord, I know that uh, that's important to you. And so, Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Help us not only to pray corporately at church, may we bathe everything in prayer. May we be faithful in prayer. Tonight, as we turn our attention to this chapter, help us, Lord, to see the importance of being faithful to a God who is faithful to us. That's exactly what you are. You never let us down. You never take a day off or even a moment off. You continue to be faithful day in and day out, week in and week out, Lord, throughout our whole lifetime. Help us to be challenged to be more faithful to you this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we're looking at chapter 43, and um, we're, uh, we're talking about how God is faithful. He never lets us down. He's always there for us. He, uh, he secures us. He takes care of us. Uh, I love Isaiah 90, or rather Psalm 91, that talks about how he hides us under his wing. Uh, we can hide under the shadow of the Almighty. He's labeled as a fortress. Uh, he's our bulwark. He's our our comfort. He's the rock under our feet, uh, an unmovable rock. I like how that Jesus in Revelation declares himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And you know Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's everything in between. He, he, he is existent before the beginning of time. He'll exist when time is over and time will cease to be no more. Uh, listen, God is eternal, but on top of all of that, He's incomprehensible, but He's faithful. He's faithful. And we can rejoice in that. We can find great comfort in that. And we can find great motivation in that. Tonight, I want us to really focus in on how God's faithfulness is to us ought to motivate us to do right. I find in my interacting with folks from other religions, especially, even other Baptist churches occasionally, uh, that the motive to do right 
is not the love of God, but rather the wrath of God. And you better do what's right or else God's going to whack you over the head. He's going to hurt you. And God's angry at you. And if you don't serve Him and love Him, boy, um, and turn that wrath into love, uh, then God's going to get you. And my friend, God loves you whether you serve Him or don't. God loves you whether you're faithful to church or not. God loves you whether you read your Bible and prayed this morning or you didn't. God loves you whether or not you share the gospel with others or or you don't. Uh, God loves you and that will never change. That love is faithful, it's consistent, it's always there. And what we ought to do is not take advantage of it. What we ought to do is use it to motivate us to follow His perfect will for our lives. You see, a faithful God ought to draw a faithful people to him, And because he's faithful to us, that ought to spur us and motivate us to turn around and be faithful back. I feel guilty. I, I feel guilty that God is faithful to me and I fall into sin and I'm not faithful to him. Uh, I, I hang my head in shame, right? You ever had somebody do something really, really kind for you and when you didn't deserve it? And you thought, oh boy, I'm about to get it. And you didn't get it. Instead, you got love. Maybe you uh, can remember back to a time where you had a boss or maybe a parent and you were deserving of uh, a punishment. Maybe you should have been called in the office and just been raked over the coals or called in by a parent and given a spanking or a grounding and instead they poured compassion and mercy and grace on you. Now God does punish us. I don't want to dismiss that. God does punish us. But how many of you understand this? God punishes you out of love. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Even when God has to punish us, it's with the purpose of growing us and renewing that relationship. I want you to imagine that you have a dad and a son. This is a great analogy. You have a dad and a son who are running a race together. Okay, Their goal is to cross the finish line Together, And that son has ADHD, attention deficit, am I getting this right, hyper disorder. And so they're running down the path and all of a sudden that, that young man, that 9, 10, 11 year old uh, boy, he sees something off the path that's moving, he gets distracted and the next thing you know, he's over there crouched down looking at it and dad's thinking, man, we got to finish this race. Now, the dad loves his boy and the dad knows he's got to finish the race with the boy and so he's got a couple of options. He can run over and chastise that boy real hard and push him away from him uh, emotionally and you know what that young man's not going to do? He's probably not going to get back on the path and finish the race with that. Or he can correct him in such a way where he motivates him back on the path and they finish the race together. Understand that Jesus is standing at the finish line, Hebrews tells us, with his nail print hands out like this. He's the author of your faith. He's the finisher of your faith. And he wants you to come across the finish line uh, to him and with him. He's not meaning to chastise you, to push you away. No, his chastisement is that out of faithfulness to bring us back in so that we will run that race. And such is the case for you and I in the church era. Uh, I assume everyone here would be a Gentile, but also was the case for the Jews in the Old Testament living under the system of Judaism. We know the story about how God called Abraham back in Genesis 12. 
and gave him Isaac in his old age. And then uh, Isaac was given Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons, and we get the 12 tribes of Israel, more or less, from those 12 young men. And, and then we have uh, the nation of Israel that God doted on, loved on, cared for, uh, 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 poured His faithfulness, uh, uh, faithful love down upon, but yet they would turn their back on Him and were anything but faithful to Him and uh, created all kinds of problems. So we saw last week, number one, we saw Israel's relationship. Verses 1 through 7 is the first paragraph of chapter 43, and we see Israel's relationship. We saw out of verse 1 their adoption. We, we, we noted their adoption, how that God chose them and brought them in and made them His own. Then we saw their affliction. Now, uh, affliction, affliction. Sometimes affliction in our life is, watch this now, it's God sent. God allows affliction in our life like He did Job. Right? Like he did. Um, can you imagine the, uh, the, the affliction of soul that Abraham was in when he was on that three-day journey to, to sacrifice Isaac? Can you imagine the, the, the heartache? Can you imagine the, the sorrow? Can you imagine the, 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 the trepidation that Abraham felt knowing, I've got to go plunge a knife into my son? What is God doing? What, what's he allowing? Sometimes our affliction is God sent. Sometimes our affliction is others sent. What does that look like? You ever had someone just uh, really treat you bad? And we all have had that happen. It just comes out of nowhere, right? Uh, I've, been in, I've been in car accidents. When I was in college, I was on my way to, to work one day, and this uh, rookie female driver, her gender doesn't matter. The gender doesn't matter, does it? But just happened to be a woman driver. I'm not saying women drive bad. She just happened to be a female driver, okay? Uh, but uh, we're going, and they decide to turn left, and they T-boned us, and shoved us off the road, and man, uh, I ended up at the the ER and get my neck checked out. Had some serious whiplash, and, and and listen, sometimes it can feel like other people they t-bone you, but not with a car. They just come out of nowhere and just wham. Hit you with sin and you did nothing to deserve it. Uh, you could have done nothing to prevent it. And lo and behold, wham, you have affliction. And sometimes it's God sent. Sometimes it's other sent. But can we just be honest tonight? Most of our affliction is, is brought on by our own choices. Isn't it? If we just look in the mirror and we're honest with ourselves, we were either uh, too ignorant to really watch the path in front of us. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, The prudent man foreseeth the evil. And hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Sometimes we're not the prudent man or prudent woman foreseeing the evil. We're just da da da. We're just do do. Rolling through life, and we're not paying attention. And lo and behold, we get hurt because we weren't being prudent. We were being simple. We weren't watching. Right. Sometimes we're sinning, and our sin catches up to us, and uh, we have to live with the, the the harvest of sin from the seeds we've sown over many years. Sometimes uh, uh, that hurts us, and we see affliction. Then we saw, let her see, their attention, their attention. We saw God's constant attention and Israel's capricious attention. God constantly caring for Israel, even though they didn't deserve it. Faithful to them, Israel, in and out of caring for God, in and out of that loving relationship. Then we moved on to number two, and we saw God's reminder. He takes the time in 8 to 13 just to remind them, hey, this is supposed to be an exclusive relationship. Letter A, we saw his exclusivity. Uh, God uh, rears up, 
flexes his uh, uh, godlike uh, deity muscles and says, I am greater than any so-called God. Look it down at verse number 10. Uh, there in the middle of the verse, he says, I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Verse 11, and besides me there is no Savior. There is no Savior. His exclusivity, then let her be, he provides the evidence. Look at verse 12. He says, I have declared and have saved and I have showed whom uh, when there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. He gives them a history lesson. He says, Go back through history and look and you'll see there was no God but like me before me. I alone am your God and you have, a, a, you have history, Israeli history, that points to that fact. And then we saw last week we ended with his eternality. Look at verse 13. He said, Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work and who shall let it? So, before the day was, I am, he says. But what's he saying here? He says, look, I've been around since before time was around. All right? Before there was ever a day and a night, I existed. So, uh, his, uh, God's reminding Israel, you need to be faithful to me because all of these little, uh, 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 little, little G-gods that you're flirting with and giving your love to and attention to is just a waste of time. I've been faithful to you Please be faithful to me. Let's move on and look at our third paragraph in the chapter, number three. Notice Israel's Redeemer. Israel's Redeemer. Look at verse number 14 there. It says, Thus saith the Lord, your... What's that next word? Redeemer. Let's say it together. Ready? Redeemer. Hey, I'm going to help you warm up tonight. If you'll speak a little bit, it'll help. I know it's cold in here, isn't it? So help me now. Uh, speak up, not like your lungs and your lips are frozen, all right? Let, speak with some enthusiasm, all right? Here we go. Let's try that again. Thus saith the Lord, those next two words together, ready? Your Redeemer. There you go. The Holy One of Israel. For your sakes I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh, look here, a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, uh, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are uh, quenched as a toe and so uh, tau. And so he's saying here, I am your redeemer. Now, these are not on the back of your bulletin, but I believe they'll be up on the screen. You can feel free to jot these down. Let's talk about that word redemption or redeemer for a minute, okay? Redemption requires captivity. Redemption requires captivity. Sometimes, Brother Jason, we hear Christian buzzwords and we get used to them and they, they seem to lose their sensational power, right? They cease to be as important. We hear the word redeemer and we think, okay, that's just a Christian word that I've been hearing the entire time I've gone to church or maybe even my whole life. What does that mean, redemption? That is a powerful word. For you to be redeemed, you have to be in captivity. You have to be in captivity. You had to be entrapped by a power greater than you, and you needed someone to come in and save or salvage you. Look, look, uh, turn over to Deuteronomy 7 with me, and let's talk about Israel's redemption. Deuteronomy 7, and let's look at verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 10. 
Redemption requires captivity. All right, you there? Brother John, can you read those verses for us? Down through ten. What a beautiful passage. God's saying here to Israel, I am your Redeemer. I redeemed you out of the slavery and captivity of Egypt. They had a whip across their back. They were were free slave labor and uh, building many of the great architectural feats that we still enjoy in Egypt today. And uh, um, there they lived with no escape. You ever stop and think about how Egypt, how Israel landed in Egypt? They landed in Egypt because you had 11 jealous brothers who hated Joseph and sold him there. And so God, uh, in recompense to what they did to Joseph, had them go there because now uh, Joseph and his character rose to the top, second in command, God's divine hand in that, no doubt, and saved them, saved the world from famine. And now they're all living in Egypt when they should have been living in the promised land. And now they're having their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and then arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph and put them all into captivity. Someone said, well, it was God's will for Joseph to be sold into captivity. And I'm just going to give you my opinion here. I'm not so sure it was God's will to be sold into captivity. Someone says, well, had he not, the world would have suffered from a famine. Had they not sold him into captivity, it's possible God would not even sent the famine. All right? Now, I know I'm, I'm diving below the surface into meddling with the sovereignty of God and free will of man, and all kinds of people have all kinds of opinion on that. All right? And so I've given my opinion here a little bit. But watch this now. Here they are in captivity because of their own sin of selling their brother into slavery. Now they're there and they're into slavery. You see how when we sow a sin, we reap it back upon ourselves? Watch this. They sold Joseph into slavery, and now the entire country ends up into slavery. They have put themselves in a place where they now need a Redeemer. Hey, can you think of a time where you needed a Redeemer for your soul? How about this? You were born in sin. All right? There is this lie that floats around many people's heads that people are born good and the world corrupts them. Do you know that's not, biblically, that is false. Do do not believe that lie. You are born, Romans 5 tells us, with an Adamic sin nature. No one had to teach you how to sin. It was in your DNA. It was in your blood when you were born. Don't let anybody tell you that kids are born perfect and they fall into sin because 
you know, the world's corrupt. No, 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 no. You were born in sin. David said, I was shapen in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me, he said in Psalm 51 there. So, listen, we're all born in sin. We're all born under the captivity of sin, and we need a Redeemer. Next, notice, redemption requires character. Redemption requires character. Turn over to Genesis chapter 12, and let's look at verse number 2. Now, whose character? The one who does the redeeming. If God did not have the character to redeem us, there would be no redemption. This points to the faithfulness of God. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 2. Turn over there for me. Brother Mike Jankowski, are you there? Okay, you close? You got it, Jason? Go ahead. Read, read verse 2 for us, Brother Jason. Nice and loud. Good. I'm going to have you read verse 4 and 5 as well. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Genesis 15, 4 and 5. Turn over to chapter 15. So while he's turning there, this is God speaking to Abraham. I'm going to make of thee a great nation, Abraham. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to call you out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees. Go forth and obey me, and I will make of you a great nation. Okay, we're, we're building here. Genesis 15. Go ahead. Verse 4 and 5. Good. So turn over to Exodus 32. And while you're turning there, let me just help you understand. Here, uh, at this point, Genesis 15, uh, Abraham has conceived with Sarah's uh, handmaid named Hagar, and God gave a child to Hagar named Ishmael. And, and, and uh, Abraham says, let the boy live before thee. Let this be the promise seed. And God says, oh, no, no, no. I'm not giving you a baby through your plan. I'm giving you a baby through my plan. Your wife, Sarah, will have a child, and uh, I'm going to make him. I'm going to make you and him like the stars of the sky and like the sands of the sea. That's how abundant you're going to be. And lo and behold, we know that Sarah was uh, past menopause. She was no reason why she should have had a baby. She was 90 years old, and God gave her a baby. Now, they lived older back then, and so it would be equivalent to like a 60-year-old woman conceiving and having a baby without any sort of medical help. That is what we call a miracle. It's a miracle. 60-year-old women don't have babies, okay? That just doesn't happen. And so God gave Sarah a baby. How many six-year-old women? Don't raise your hand. Amen. Uh, but uh, that would be like Miss Marcia coming in Sunday and saying, I'm pregnant. What? You're not even married, first of all. But anyway, uh, that's, that's the point. So, uh, But uh, listen, uh, God put a baby. No. So uh, that, that's what it must sound like when Mary declared that, right? But here we are. Uh, God gives her a baby, and then that baby turns into a nation in time. And you know what that nation does? They turned their back on God. We know the story of Egypt and how they're redeemed from captivity. They walk through the Red Sea. They don't get more than just a handful of days past the Red Sea. Moses goes up in the mount, and he's going to get the Ten Commandments. And you know what they do? They say to Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses. Uh, build us a God like we had in Egypt. 
God just parted the Red Sea for you and you're already ready to turn your back on God? Unbelievable. So you know what Aaron does? He has them give them all their earrings, right, and all their necklaces, and he throws it into a fire and he shapes up this golden calf. And uh, Moses comes down and finds them worshiping the golden calf, and he's angry and he's upset, and he grinds the golden calf down and he puts it into a river running nearby. He makes them drink their own golden calf. And then God is angry. I mean, God is very angry. Look at Exodus 32, and we see that God is ready to destroy the Israelites and start over with Moses. Look at verse number 9. Brother Yankowski, can you read 9 down through verse 12? Through verse 12, 10, 11, and 12 also. And you know what God did? He listened to Moses. He did not destroy the Israelites, even though that's what he really wanted to do. Someone once said, it's a good thing that God and Moses uh, were never together on having the Israelites destroyed. Right? Sometimes Moses wanted the Israelites destroyed, and God said, whoa, 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 hold up a minute here. And sometimes God wanted the Israelites destroyed, and Moses said, whoa, 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 hold up, God, you can't do that. It's a good thing God and Moses never got together on that, or they'd have been wiped out, right? Uh, one kept the other from, uh, it was a hold me back type thing, right? Uh, but here's what I'm getting at. Israel was not redeemed because they were worthy of being redeemed. Israel was redeemed because God had enough character not to kill them first. Are you with me here? You and I do not deserve God's redemption. Because we are up and then we're down. And then we're up and then we're down. And then we're faithful and then we're unfaithful. And then we're living right, we're reading our Bible and we're praying. And then the next thing you know, we've gone 30 days and we've hardly whispered a prayer. And then we're, we're, we're loving the brethren and we're right where we ought to be and then we're living carnal and we're being selfish. And you know there are times where God must feel toward me or you or collectively, let, hold me back, I'm going to kill him. Right? How many of you, if you were God, you'd have killed you a long time ago? <laughs> You're with me, right? Because I know how sinful I am. I know how wicked my heart can be. And listen, it is not because I am deserving of God's redemption. It is because God has enough character to not kill me before He redeems me. I want you just to understand how wonderful God's redemption is to you this evening. It requires a God of great character to redeem me and you. When God says to Israel, I am your Redeemer, don't let that word go in one ear and out the other. For, for God to redeem you, there has to be a captivity. There has to be a God of great character. Notice next, redemption requires a caring heart. Go back to Isaiah 43 where we began, and then I'm going to have you turn to Jeremiah 31. Look back at verse number 1 of Isaiah 43 where we began last week. The Bible says, But now 
Thus saith the Lord, look here, that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Can you see the caring heart of God? He created Israel. He formed Israel. Look down further. It says, For fear not, I, uh, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Look at the tender compassion in the voice of God through his prophet here. Thou art mine. God says, I know you're a rascal. And I know that you're in and out of being faithful. He said, I still love you anyway. Look, look, turn over to, uh, let's see, uh, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 in your Bibles. And let's look at the first three verses of this chapter. Again, Jeremiah dealing with a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people. He was the voice of God uh, through this time. Let me get some of the other men here to read. Brother Okai or Brother Syrette, which one do you have it there? Brother Okai, go ahead. Read one, two, and three for us. Thank you, Brother, Brother Okai. Look back at verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Look here. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore have I drawn thee. I think of the story of uh, Hosea and his prostitute wife, Gomer, who God commanded him to marry. And uh, they had some babies together, and then she started to cheat on him, and he had to let her go, fall into slavery. And then once she was a slave... And she was worthless and no one wanted to buy her. He stepped up and he bought her for way more than she was worth. You know what? And that was a picture of what God does for us. God loves us. And I've got to be honest with you tonight. I don't know why God loves me. I'm just being totally honest with you tonight. I don't know why God loves me because I don't deserve one ounce of it. I'm so wicked and sinful and selfish at the core of who I am, there's not one part of me that deserves to be redeemed. But God has an everlasting love. And He draws us with that love. Oh, He punishes us, but He even does that out of love. He does that in an attempt to redeem us. We see that redemption requires captivity. We were enslaved into our sin. Redemption requires character. If it wasn't for His character, He would have killed us a long time ago. Redemption requires a caring heart. And oh, we have a God who has redeemed us through both His mercy and His grace. His mercy is the act of sparing punishment. His mercy is an act of pardon. His grace is the unmerited or undeserved favor that's so richly poured upon us. Notice next, redemption requires compliance. Now here's the thing. Redemption is available to all of humanity. We don't believe in limited atonement at White Oak Baptist Church. We believe that God, that Jesus died for everyone on the cross. For God so loved, not just the elect, for God so loved the world <laughs> that He gave His only begotten Son. Okay, And the Bible is very clear on that. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whosoever 
uh, call, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's available to everyone. But do you know what? There are many, many people who will go to hell because they're not willing to comply to God's terms. God's terms are simple. Humble your heart and believe in me alone and I'll save you. I think about those Israelites who had, been, who had walked through the Red Sea. They had eaten the manna that God had supplied. They had drunk the water from the flint rock. Uh, they had uh, fought the, 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 uh, the enemies there while Moses held his arms up in the wilderness. They had gone all the way to Kadesh Barnea. And they refused to cross because they said we're like grasshoppers in their sight. God turns them away. And just a few chapters later, they begin to complain about how horrible God is. So God sends fiery serpents through. We looked at this on a Sunday morning recently. And they're bitten by the fiery serpents. And God had every right to let them die right there from the fiery serpents. And God says to Moses, put a brazen serpent on a pole and walk through and hold that up there. And uh, whoever will look can live. You know, they had to comply to be redeemed from the snake bite. I guarantee you there were people who refused to look. And they died as a result. And here God offers redemption to His uh, humanity, not because they deserve it, because we don't. He's drawing us with His loving kindness, with His everlasting love. And only when we're willing to humble our stubborn, proud, sinful hearts and say, Lord, I receive your redemptive plan, can we experience that. Let's look at it quickly, a letter A here. Letter A, notice His provision in the desert. His provision in the desert. Go back to Isaiah 43 with me. I hope you didn't mind that mini Bible study inside of a Bible study. Because if we're going to talk about redemption, we need to have the full emotional impact of what it means to be redeemed. What it means for God to be faithful to us. Because we totally don't deserve to be drawn with His everlasting love. And so when we talk about redemption, let's not let that just be some spiritual buzzword that goes in one ear and out the other. His provision in the desert. Look at verse 18 of Isaiah 43. It says there, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall bring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even, look here, make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the, beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people my chosen. Now, for the Israelites, this was not some stretch that God would one day do this. And I believe that this is probably prophetic of the millennial reign where God heals the earth and takes away the, the wilderness and creates a path to Jerusalem. But this is not some stretch. We know God did this for them in the wilderness when they wandered for 40 years. The manna was His redemption. The, the water from the rock, two different times. Protection from the elements with the cloud over them by day and the pillar of fire by night. Clothes that didn't wear out. Governmental structure uh, in all the civil laws that were provided. Civil, moral, and dietary laws. Um, the ways in the wilderness that we find there in verse 19 is a common theme Throughout the book of Isaiah, you continue to find that way in the wilderness description. This is both literal uh, about the past and literal about the future, and it was metaphorical. Now, Jesus, the Messiah, you know what he declared himself to be? He declared himself to be the way for everyone out of the wilderness of their sin. 
So when we we read about the way in the wilderness, we're reading about a a prophecy about Jesus coming to provide a way out of sin, a way out of captivity. Matthew 7 tells us that straight is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that go in thereat. By the way, if you have any other version of the Bible than a King James, and you read Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it does not say that the way is straight and narrow. It says that the way is hard. Can I tell you, the way to heaven is not hard, it's simple. That's a horrible mistake by any other version of the Bible in English. The way is not hard. The way to heaven is simple. What is hard is our head and our heart. Our pride keeps us out of heaven. The Bible says that Jesus is the way out of the wilderness. Letter B, we see their praise of the divine, their praise of the divine. Look at verse number 21. This is such a rich chapter, I don't mind taking three weeks to get through it. Look at verse 21 with me. The Bible says, This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. Um, I don't want to get out ahead of my skis here. Turn over to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14. I've got some things I want to share on this. Uh, but before we get there, I think it's important we uh, lay, the, lay the groundwork with the Bible. Exodus 34, verse 14. Brother Syrette, I don't want to leave you out, man. Every, every other male in the room is red, and uh, we've got to get you involved. Can you read nice and loud for us? <laughs> I love this verse. We're to worship God. You know why? Because He's jealous. He... <laughs> His name, the Bible says, is Jealous, with a capital J. How many of you here have ever experienced jealousy? You know what I mean? Jealousy? Oh, man, all right? You let somebody lay eyes on your spouse. I'm going to tell you what. You're going to experience jealousy, right? You're going you're gonna to feel jealousy. I've been on both sides of it. I remember right after I got married, some guy was flirting with my wife in inner city Baltimore, Man, jealousy welled up in my heart. I wanted to beat that guy up, all right? He was, he, was, he was complimenting her beauty, and I did not appreciate that. And then later in my marriage, uh, my wife was jealous over me. And boy, that jealousy can be fierce. His name is jealous. It was a desperate woman, trust me. It was a very desperate woman. Uh, but um, uh, his name is jealous. Jealous. You know what God does not appreciate? When we praise someone or something else other than Him. He doesn't like that. Because that other thing did not die for you on the cross. Did not redeem you from the captivity of sin. Did not put up with you in your brokenness and ugliness. Did not show the character to keep from destroying you. Did not draw you with an everlasting love. That thing is not worthy of your praise. Jehovah is worthy of your praise. How about Deuteronomy 4.24? Let me read this one. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. You know why God is a consuming fire? It isn't because He's just wrathful, looking to burn up anyone and everyone who gets in His path. He's a, a, he's a, he's a God of a consuming fire because that is a jealous fire. He is so passionate about His love for you that when you start loving something more than Him, boy, that burns Him up. He wants your praise 
pointed at heaven. Turn over to Psalm 150. We're going to read this one together. Everybody is going to read this one together. And this is how we're going to finish out tonight. Psalm 150. And I'm going to give you a good challenge this week as you go forth. Psalm 150. This is a great passage of Scripture. One that you should review often. Especially if you're a pessimist. You say, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Yeah, you're probably a pessimist. Amen? Look at Psalm chapter 150, and let's read it together, okay? Everybody there? I'm going to give you just another second. I know when your fingers are cold, it's harder to turn the pages of the Bible, isn't it? And so blow in those hands, right? All right. Psalm 150. We're going to read it together. Here we go. Ready? Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the string instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You know what some of you need to do is you need to take your eyes off your problems on planet earth and you need to put your eyes on the one who's redeemed your soul and you just need to spend some time praising the Lord. You know what, Israel? You have a wonderful Redeemer. And if you're saved tonight, you have a wonderful Redeemer also. It's the same guy. It's the same deity. It's the same being. He saved your soul. This week, I don't know what you're dealing with. Some of you here are carrying some very heavy burdens. And I do not mean to minimize your burdens. I, I really don't mean to do that. I understand sometimes life throws heartaches your way. One of the best ways to cope with your heartaches is for a little bit of time, take your eyes off your problem and put your eyes on your wonderful Redeemer and praise Him. Praise Him with song. Uh, praise Him. You know what? I think God sometimes is in heaven and He's hurt because we are so focused on life's hardships that we cease to praise Him and all of the goodness He pours down on our lives. I know some of you in here carrying heavy burdens and I know what some of those burdens are. I don't know all of them, but I know what some of those are. And I'm just going to tell you this, that you need a proper perspective. Put your eyes on your Redeemer and praise Him and know that in your struggle... He's working a plan in your life. And thank Him for the struggle. Praise Him for that. Praise Him uh, all your day. And uh, God will help carry you through that hardship. Let's stand together. Let's be faithful to God this week. He's redeemed us. Uh, He he has redeemed us and loved us. May we go forth and be faithful and love Him. Because He draws us with that everlasting love. Amen.